0: Thanks for finding Organic Matters for another weekend wherever you get me. Sure glad you're tuning me in. For this part of the show, let's talk about basically how to make soil fertile naturally. So think about using these organic and natural methods to make a healthy garden from common dirt and figure out how to enrich poor soils. Starting to build a new garden really isn't that difficult. Most people Begin by going out into the yards with a shovel and, or tiller, digging up the dirt, putting in a few plants. But by following the organic uh, ideas I'm going to give you, the natural methods, adding mulch and compost, you're going to be well on your way to really good soil for your homegrown vegetable garden. In the long run, the more you do to keep your soil healthy, the more productive your garden will be, and of course, the higher the quality of your crops Of course, we will start with what I call the basic concepts. For more fertile soil, you need to increase organic matter and mineral availability, and whenever possible, you should avoid tilling the soil and leave its structure as undisturbed as you can. And just a reminder here, for the best soil, sources of organic matter should be as diverse as as you can find as possible. Maybe the place to begin might be adding manures for nitrogen. All livestock manures can be valuable additions to soil. Their nutrients are readily available to soil organisms and plants. In fact, manures make a greater contribution to soil aggregation than compost itself, even though I love my compost. But if you choose the right manures, they've already mostly been decomposed before you ever use them. You should apply manure with care, although pathogens are less likely to be found in manures from homesteads, and small farms than those from large confinement stock operations, which I don't get mine from, you should allow three months between application and harvest of root crops or leafy vegetables, lettuces, and spinaches, just to guard against possible contamination. Incidentally, most of your tall crops, they've studied, corn and trellis tomatoes and things, really aren't very prone to this contamination. It's not much to worry about. But especially if you have a garden on the ground, not a built-up garden, some nutrients from manures are so readily available that they're more likely to leach out of your soil into groundwater and streams. If you're near something like that, think about it. Also, if manures are overused, and that is possible, you can actually provide excess amounts of some nutrients, especially with manure, phosphorus. And because of this, it may be best to restrict really fresh manures to your heavier feeding, faster growing crops. Corn's an ideal example. And process additional manure, in other words go ahead and finish composting it before you use it in the rest of your garden. I want to mention here though I don't do it, and I'm not saying it's all, on many parts of the world, they actually use us, human manure. It's not dangerous, it's not bad, but it has to be handled properly. If if you really want to learn this, <laughs> there's a book out There is the Bible on this subject. It's called The Human Manure Handbook. Oh, great original name. But the one you want is by the author Joe Jenkins, and it's a fascinating read for sure. Of course, next on my list is composting. Composting is a means of recycling almost any organic waste you can find. It reduces the bulk of the organic material while stabilizing the more volatile and soluble nutrients and speeds up the formation of real soil humus. Regular applications of modest amounts of compost, a half inch or so per season, will provide slow-release nutrients on a regular basis, which will dramatically improve your soil's water retention and, also incidentally, because it's a living, living compost, it helps suppress a lot of diseases. What I call classic composting is really relatively simple. But it can be kind of labor intensive. So if you try to do it on a large scale, think about it. The older I get, the more interested I am in an easier alternative. Fortunately, I found two. One is what we call sheet composting. In classic composting, you build tall piles and bins, altering layers of fresh and high nitrogen greens, such as grass clippings with high carbon, difficult to break down browns, we call them, such as dry leaves. Instead, you can keep these two compost materials separate and apply them in two layers directly to your garden bed. In this method, the moist, volatile, high-nitrogen green stuff goes down first in direct contact with the soil, and the microbial population is ready to feed on them right now, while the drier, coarser, high-carbon, the browns, the leaves, are used as a cover to keep the first layer from drying out or losing its more volatile elements to the atmosphere. The second alternative is what we call vermicomposting. That's really using earthworms to convert nutrient-dense materials such as manures or food products, waste, and, and any green crop residues into forms that are usable by plants. Back when I was really into this, folks, and now I talk about it more than I do it just because of my age and I've been moving around a lot, but earthworm castings were a major part of my fertility program. I, my very first one, I remember, I started vermicomposting with a little three-by-four-foot worm bin. Then a little later, I converted the center of the greenhouse I had back then to a 4-by-20-foot series of bins. They were all about eh, a foot and a half deep. My worms processed mostly horse manure back then, uh, but by the pickup load, mostly from a neighbor of mine that I knew was feeding good hay. His hay didn't have any herbicides or picloram in it, so it went through the horse and came out ready to be taken care of by my worms. I should mention here in studies I learned way back when I was running a company called Gardenville that not only do the worm castings feed the plant roots, which is exciting, but they actually carry a huge load of beneficial microbes that boost the soil's organism community and actually staves off certain diseases. Nowadays, I have a friend of mine that I'm lucky enough to have that has a really nice garden set up But the other magic he has are chickens. If you just sort of find an area you can dump whatever organic materials you have in handy little piles and get the chickens over there, they will happily do what chickens do best. They will scratch ceaselessly through the material looking for interesting things to eat. Of course, in the process, they do their duty. They shred it and incorporate it into the top couple inches. They're magnificent at it. The zone of most intense biological activity is right where they build it. And incidentally, of course, their droppings are scratched in as well, and they give a big boost to the soil microbes that help to build even better soil. Let's cover one more thought for this part of the show. What about planting cover crops? Growing cover crops is perhaps the most valuable strategy you can adopt to feed your soil build up its fertility, and improve its structure with each passing year. Freshly killed cover crops provide readily available nutrients for your soil, microbe friends, and hence, folks, for, of course, the food crops you're going to plant. Plus, the channels opened by the decaying roots of the cover crops permit oxygen and water to penetrate better into your soils. Legumes most people know what those are, the clovers, alfalfa, beans, and peas are the easy ones to name, are especially valuable cover crops because they fix nitrogen from the atmosphere into forms that are readily available to crop plants. Mixes of different cover crops are also beneficial. For example, the mixes of grasses and clovers. The grass adds a large amount of just total biomass and improves soil structure because of the size and complexity of their root systems. But then the legumes add the nitrogen to break down the relatively carbon-rich grass roots themselves. So if you can, try to work cover crops into your cropping plans with the same deliberation that you do to grow your food crops. Of course, you don't have to do this, but the easiest way to do this is to maintain two separate garden spaces. Plant one to food crops, the other one to cover crops, then alternate the two crops each following year. Otherwise, you have two garden areas if you're fortunate enough to have the space to do that. Unfortunately, most gardeners cannot devote that much space to such a an idea. So effective cover cropping must be fitted into kind of a unified garden plan, a concept that in practice can be... It can get kind of complex, but you can do it. Gardeners who like jigsaw puzzles would love to do this, and it does work. I've been around people willing to take the time to do it. And if you decide to do that, take a little time to learn that cover crops work best. There's different ones for each of the four seasons, and get familiar with those that are kind of best for whatever region of the country you're gardening in. Let me add one thought here, folks. and I just I think I've played on this, but I, I want you to know. Realize that excessive tillage is truly detrimental to the life of your soil and contributes, unfortunately, to the greenhouse gases. Not that it's a big deal in all small gardens, but it is times millions of small gardens. Proper soil care reduces your need forever to have to really till. Nurturing soil life by constantly introducing organic matters help to keep a loose and open soil structure for your garden. Protect that improved structure Very simply, by keeping the soil covered at all times. The one thing I'll get you to kind of repeat after me, no bare soil anywhere, as little as possible. Another problem I saw some soils when I was really working harder at it, I mean, in the business, um, a lot of people, get advised against using high-carbon materials such as straw or leaves since soil microbes quote-unquote rob the available nitrogen from the soil in order of course to break down the excessive amounts of carbon. But, this is where the catch is they didn't realize. This is only true if we incorporate those high-carbon sources into the soil. Think about it this way. Put mulches on the soils, not in your soils. If high carbon materials are laid down on top of your soil as mulches, they're not going to be a problem. The mulch retains soil moisture and protects against temperature extremes. Microbes, earthworms, and other forms of soil life of all kinds will kind of nibble at that mulch and slowly incorporate it and its residues into the very top of your soil. Actually, high carbon mulches are preferable for weed control to materials that decompose readily since they persist longer before being incorporated into our what we call our soil food web. But remember, even so, it is usually necessary to renew mulches that are in place for the entire growing season, every growing season. Some gardeners recommend to turn manures and compost into the soil. But since I don't like tillage, My idea is to apply the manure or compost on the soil surface and keep it from drying out. I put the, if I've got a choice, the manure down, then the mulch is on top of it. And that'll give you a thick, high-carbon mulch that'll break down naturally but won't steal the nutrients from the plants that you're growing through it. In other words, that's I think we mentioned that earlier in this part of the program. It's called sheet composting, if you want to learn a little bit more about it. But it works very well, especially in early spring and through summer when when all the microbes are at their most active periods. And a final note, I try to make one quarter of this show about gardening every, every week. But sometimes I can't get enough information there. Sometimes I have too much. Water your garden. Very thoroughly, when you water it, but not as often and almost any plant I can name, there may be a few exceptions, but you water thoroughly, and then you wait till that soil's dry. Oh, I always use the the first joint of my middle finger. when it's dry to that touch, that far down, I water thoroughly again. It's one of the safest way to water. it, it lowers. Potential problems such as uh, damping off and lowers the amount of funguses you're going to have problems with. Thorough waterings when necessary, and you'll learn it. There's actually meters. I don't know how how well the meters work, but uh, your finger is a good meter once you learn to uh, believe it. Thanks for staying tuned to Organic Matters.